0: Hello, everybody. I hope you are doing well. My name is Michael, and welcome to the Christ Church Podcast. We're still here, we're still making our way through the Apostles' Creed together, and we have come to our 13th episode, where we are going to be discussing um, the statement of faith that we do believe in, the forgiveness of sins. That's going to be our topic today, the forgiveness of sins. It's a pretty nice thing to believe, isn't it? That that our sins are forgiven, that's pretty cool. Um, you might not know this, But the forgiveness of sins, that line, that that statement of belief, wasn't added to the Apostles' Creed until, well, later on. It was one of the latest additions to the Creed itself. A bit of history here. In the 4th century, Christians were going through periods of persecution under the rule of Roman emperors. Uh, You probably heard about this some, some of our church's history in this regard. For example, the Roman Emperor Diocletian, who has an interesting backstory that I do think you should read about, Uh, Diocletian, as a Roman Emperor, had Christians' property seized from them, taken from them, and then burned. For example, like their books, Uh, he would burn them uh, until they disintegrated, right? Just getting rid of them completely. And he even destroyed Christians' places of worship. Not stopping there, though, he had Christian leaders thrown into jail with one condition, if these Christians would make sacrifices to Roman gods, then Diocletian would release them from jail, from prison. He would, he would set them free. All they had to do was make sacrifices to Roman gods. And Diocletian even tried to make this easy for them. He would allow mass sacrifices to be made so that multiple Christians could denounce their own faith and their baptism and make sacrifices to the Roman gods all at once. And then he would set them free. Uh Within this history, we do find that some Christians were killed for their beliefs. They were martyred. But this wasn't the norm, I guess. This didn't happen all that often. But it does start getting tricky for churches. When a Christian, not just because of persecution, but when a Christian would make a sacrifice to a Roman God, what they were effectively doing was they were denouncing their own faith, they were denouncing their own baptisms. And this became a pastoral crisis within the churches of this time. Some, uh, actually a lot of questions started being asked during this time about what the church would do with people who ended up making sacrifices to Roman gods. What would they do to these people, even though they were making sacrifices to gain their freedom? What are they going to do with them? once they were released and set free from jail? And, and would they allow them to return to their faith? Would they allow them to, I don't know, return to their churches and their Christian communities? Would they allow them to resume their places of leadership if they were ministers within the congregation? Should people be baptized again um, after denouncing their faith? Or would they even be allowed to come back at all? And And that bit about the ministers especially became a bit awkward because— there were pastors, ministers within these congregations who were also making sacrifices to Roman gods. They were denouncing their own faith and baptism. Well, what would that mean for their ministry prior? Would that count all of their ministry as invalid? Uh, For example, if you were baptized by this pastor, would you need to then be re-baptized by someone else Questions about the Christian faith started swirling around these congregations and and within their own minds, and and, and what would they do within their own communities, such as, like, um, there there were just multiple debates going on, discussions being had about what we are going to do as a Christian faith, as a body of Christ moving forward. What do we do now? Uh, Some of the main questions that push The conversation forward were questions like, what actually makes a person a follower of Christ? What can a person do if they stray away from the faith? What is the church? Is the church a community of pure believers? Or is the church a place for the struggling and the broken and these questions made way for some pretty clear-cut answers, because they kind of required clear-cut answers, after all. Ultimately, Christian leaders decided uh, that one's own failure, even in the lane of discipleship, would not exclude a person from the grace of God. The church, it was decided as a place for anyone who confesses faith in Jesus Christ especially Jesus Christ as Lord, and receives baptism into his way. Um, One does not need to be baptized more than once. And here's the kicker for our episode now. The forgiveness of sins took place once and for all in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Psalm 103, verse 12, you might know it by heart, tells us that as far as the east is from the west, that is how far our sins have been removed from us by our God. And how? Well, the Apostle Paul says to some Antioch believers, We can see this story in the book of Acts, that the forgiveness of sins comes through Jesus Christ. That this removal, as far as the east is from the west, of our sin comes through Jesus Christ. He would pen something similar in his letter to the Roman believers, saying, "The death of Christ, the death that Christ died, he died to sin once and for all." But well, you know what? Let's just read this whole passage. It's a little bit longer, but it's uh, Romans six verses one through about fourteen. Let me just let me just read all of it. Paul says, what then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him by baptism into death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies To make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law, but under grace. So we have it recorded That around this time in the 4th century, the ancient church added the forgiveness of sins as part of the baptismal confession, which is, of course, the Apostles' Creed. And even just for further reference, this line about the forgiveness of sins was also added to the Nicene Creed in the year 381. Um, Because of everything Christians were facing due to their faith in Jesus, because of the persecution and what happened as a result, Important questions were raised and we're in need of clear answers. And important for our discussion right now, I think, is that question about what is the church? What is the church? What defines the church? Is it a community of pure believers or is it a community of the broken and the struggling? Is it a body of perfect faith in strong individuals or a body of weak and uncertain believers attempting to follow in the way of Jesus. If the church puts a stake in claiming the forgiveness of sins, if that is a reality that we believe in, well, then that has implications. It means that the church cannot be a place for the pure and the perfect. It's never going to be that. The church will always be a gathering that is welcoming and patient with the impure and the imperfect. And thank God for that. See, there's no place for snobbery within the church. There's no place, um, well, no believer has the right to judge another. If this is taking place in the body of Christ, Ben Myers, who I've repeatedly quoted throughout this, calls us to remember our confession. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. John reminds us in uh, First John, one of his first of three letters that we have back to back to back in our scriptures, our New Testament, reminds us that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. The Apostle Paul goes on in his letter to the Roman church. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, we believe in the forgiveness of sins by means of Jesus' death and resurrection because it is our ultimate hope. We are saved by grace, justified by grace through faith, saved and not condemned, all because of Jesus. If we were to turn our backs if we were to grow numb to the good news of Jesus, if we walked away from the faith completely, we proclaim in this statement our belief that God will never forget us, that he'll be waiting for us like the father waiting on his prodigal son, ready to receive us with open arms and throw a huge party on behalf of our return. He's more faithful than we could ever be faithless. He is far greater than our worst failures. So yes, we believe this to be true. And when we come to this part in our creed, I hope you can say boldly alongside your sisters and brothers in the faith that I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Grace and peace.